Any intentional forward movement of his hands starts a forward pass, even if the player loses possession of the ball as he is attempting to tug it back towards his body. Also, if the player has tugged the ball into his body and then loses possession, it is a fumble. Like I got over the tuck rule, but I still think about the tuck rule. Do you not believe the tuck rule was appropriately applied? I do not. I do not. Hello, folks. We are back yet again for a tuck rule. Uh, it's Pride Month, so we're back. Um, Katie, how's it going? It's going pretty good. Um, you know, just your normal neighborhood faggot here. Uh, that's right. Here to bring you a story from 123 years ago of people who would most certainly call us slurs that we've never even heard of before. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, uh, yeah, we are, we are hearing all of the 1890s finest. Um, so it, it is, it, it is fair to say that we are in the dead part of the off season. Yep. Um, the most interesting NFL story uh, is that four quarterbacks are playing a charity golf event. Um, solid. So that's where we're at right now. Yeah, just yeah. That's we got a solid we got a solid off season thing going. Um, my editor today uh, asked me, "When is your next story going to be?" And I was like, "I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I can't think of anything to write about with the NFL. Goddamn." Yeah. Uh, so we are kind of in that dead zone, uh, but, yeah. uh, we've been kicking around, um, an idea for a series we want to do for a while, um, in which we look at weird stories from football past. Um, yeah. And Katie has taken the lead on our first installment here. Um, we're going to talk about 19th century football. That's I think, right. Um, I think a topic... <clears throat> That we all know lots about. Uh, we all know exactly how the game worked back then. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. Like, no, like, yeah. It, 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 it's so easy to know, like, too. It's so intuitive. Um, because field goals and touchdowns are worth exactly the same. Um, gosh, we have, we have, we have such a journey ahead of us. We are going to be talking, as as we said, about the 1899 Sewanee football team. One of the most famous football teams uh, of football's early era, I would say. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, um, and the reason they are so notable is not only did they go 12-0 and and win 11 conference games, which, by the way, only Alabama in 2020 was able to match, and that was because <laughs> of a COVID, and that was because of the COVID year, but this team won five games in six days. They are oh true. It is truly one of the most magnificent accomplishments in the history of the sport. And so, when I proposed this idea to Victoria, I, I said, "I want to talk about this because I don't think a lot of people. I think a lot of people do kind of have a background idea of it, but I don't think people really know the story." So. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to bring you the entire story of this football team. We are going to try and make it as personable and as entertaining as we possibly can. So, Hell yeah. Have fun. Um, I think forebodingly, um, it just started raining where I am. You might oh, be able no. to hear that over the audio. Uh, so so gather, gather uh, come in from the rain, gather around <clears throat> the fire, uh, kick your feet up, and uh, listen to stories of football past. Um, that's right. Oof, wh- where do we? Okay, so Katie has done most of the research here. I have a baseline understanding of what we're getting into. So, yeah. uh, Katie, what was football like in 1899? Okay, so the first thing that I think you have to understand is games were 70 minutes long. Okay, and the clock was running the entire time. It's kind of like soccer. It's more like rugby, and it's even more like rugby because there weren't quarters. There were 35-minute halves. Um, a team only needed three downs, but only also needed five yards to get another first down. Touchdowns were worth five points, and field goals were also worth five points. The forward pass wasn't legalized yet, so most teams, when their strategy came around, one of the things that Canadian football has that American football back then had 
was the scrimmage kick where you can kick the ball downfield and recover it and it's like a pass um so that was the passing game in the 1890s um but teams didn't use that much so most of the time they just kind of ran it and tried to do some different things while running the football like things that we would kind of recognize now like double reverses halfback dives halfback off tackle plays pulling guards the whole nine yards um but the other thing that I think is going to be kind of interesting that we're going to get into and something we are going to get, um, something that's going to get Sawani's coach in a fair bit of trouble, actually, is that coaches actually weren't allowed to coach their players. In other words, they weren't allowed to bark instruction at them. The players were just supposed to play. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'll, I'll get into this a little bit later during the first couple games, but. I think the other thing you have to understand about football back then is college football was king. It would be the king until about the 1940s or 1950s. Um, pro football was mostly in industrial towns, and it hadn't even really been invented too much yet. We are really in an uncharted territory as far as modern football goes. And the other yeah. thing, and the other thing to know about it is, it was a very deadly sport. I believe in 1905 which is eight years or six years after this story takes place. Uh, I believe it was something like 20 people were killed on the football field. <sighs> it was a very deadly game. And yeah, this story almost does not take place because of one certain death. Um, so in 1897, the University of Georgia was playing uh, Virginia in Atlanta, and their halfback by the name of Vaughn Gammon was killed in a game. This nearly caused the game of football to be outlawed in many southern states, including in Georgia, where a bill to ban the sport had been making it through the state legislature. Uh, ultimately, the sport was only saved due to his mother's testimony. As she stated, it would be inexplicably sad to have the cause Vaughn held so dear injured by his sacrifice. After this speech, George's governor vetoed the football ban bill, and the sports fate in the South was ultimately saved, and that was two years before this story takes place. Um, so, that's kind of what we're dealing with here. That's kind of the general background of football in this time period. Um, now, to get into the conferences, the conferences oh, don't boy. look any... Yeah, so, so before Gammon's death, the SIA had just been born a few years back. The SIAA was not like a conference. It was more like a Southern NCAA, um, as the Athletic Association appendage on the back shows. It had a weird smattering of schools. It was basically the SEC, the ACC. There was also Texas in there. And there were also a bunch of tiny little colleges like Cumberland, Washington and Lee, uh, Southwestern Presbyterian, now known as Rhodes yeah. College in Memphis. We got it's some... Up. We got some really weird ones in here. We got a, uh, we got a, uh, we got Nashville here. Yeah, um, Nashville actually ended up being um, absorbed into the into Vanderbilt. I think. Um, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yep. Uh, Southwestern Presbyterian. We got a. Uh, we got Kentucky State, which is now Kentucky. Yeah. Um, we got we got North Carolina's here. Good for them, I guess. Um, <laughs> Clemson is here as well. Yep. Uh, what will eventually become Eastern Kentucky is here, although known at known at the time as Central Kentucky, humorously enough. Um, <laughs> Kentuckians ain't exactly good with directions, so hard to hard to blame them. I think you can say that, and I can't. Um, That's true. <laughs> oh God. Um, yeah. So this is a this is a so you could see the bones of what might eventually become a Southeastern Conference here. Um, yeah, but also some weird oddballs such as Sawani. Katie, what was what was Sawani, the the University of Sawani, um, like at Unf at the time? Uh, so unfortunately, this is a, this is a university for basically the Southern gentry. It's an all white university, which you know that's not entirely a surprise. Most schools in the South were at the time, but. This was a university for the Southern Gentry. It had been founded in 1857 from delegates by 10 states. All were all were for, from the future Confederacy. It was supposed to be the school for the slave owner's children. And then the Civil War happened and the school got blown to fucking bits. Which, thank God. Fuck yeah. 
which thank God. Um, but eventually in 1868, it did open and it was very much school of the Southern gentry. Students were generally well to do and the school, the school still has a lot of Confederate monuments. I'll put it like that. Like it's, um, yeah, I always used to joke that Sewanee only produced two things and that was Presbyterian ministers and Confederate generals. And yeah, I mean, that that's kind of what you're dealing with here. So this is not a, this is not a wholly savory story, but I thought it was important to mention that because I think if you're going to tell the story, you also have to tell about the background and this school was, the school was very much a school that was for Southern rich white kids. And I guess, I guess a modern analog today would probably be SMU if I had to take a guess. Like, okay. Yeah. It's like a small SMU on the mountain, uh, about 25 to 50 miles Northwest of Chattanooga. It's kind of nestled in that little area between Nashville and Chattanooga. The reason it was built on a mountain is because that was above the malaria line. So they built the school to make sure that kids didn't get malaria. So good for them, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is, this is a very small college these days. Um, yeah, it has less than 1700 undergrads right now. This is according to Wikipedia. So who knows? Um, which is smaller than my alma mater, Canisius College, which is a glorified high school. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, as well as having 73 postgraduates on campus, according to this. So, <laughs> who is doing... Who, uh, yeah. Okay, who the fuck is doing postgraduate work at Sewanee? What <laughs> are you doing? That's a great question. You have to... I, I, I almost guess it probably has to be ministers. That's the, that's the only guess I could possibly fathom. Um... But yeah, this school is this school is a Presbyterian school for the Southern gentry. Even today, it's a school for rich people. It's not it's not somewhere you go if you're poor. Um, back then, it was even smaller. This school that we're talking about that went twelve and zero against powers that would eventually be in the SEC had two hundred and sixty odd students. At the that time. is, oh it my is, god, it is, <laughs> it is tiny. That's Sewanee the University. Now, Sewanee the football program is very, very interesting. So, we have intramural games at Sewanee dating back to 1888. And the funny thing about these was they didn't have a football at the time. So, they used a block of wood as a football. Just, Just as good, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who who doesn't want to get splinters from a football? Um, <laughs> it's like... Can you imagine uh, carrying the ball, getting tackled, and then, like, falling down onto the block of wood? Just, oh, like, oh ugh, God, horrifying. <laughs> just college kids in the 1880s and 1890s were just built different. But, yeah. I, yeah, I, I feel like people in general were. Uh, <laughs> as, like, once, once we get to the, like, superhuman feats of strength that this team will perform, <laughs> I think that will bear out. Oh, yeah. Um... So, in 1890 or 1891, they play their first game against another team. It was from an athletic association in Chattanooga. College football teams at this time would play athletic associations that were basically just gentlemen's clubs with a football team attached to it. So, that's kind of what we're dealing with here. In 1891, they'd play Vanderbilt and lose, but they'd beat Tennessee in Tennessee's first ever game. They won 24 to nothing in that affair. On a cold Thanksgiving day in Chattanooga, the Tigers wrapped up their 1891 season with another huge loss to Vanderbilt, this time in Nashville, so that's the kind of schedule we're dealing with here. One of the things that this spurred was a football fever at school back in in the 1890s. Um, Administrators likened the idea to football as a test of competitive metal, but even here the Civil War still kind of lurked. Fathers would send their son off to school, and winning for your school was nothing less than the idealized version of of a Confederate soldier taking on and beating a Union soldier. I mean, it, it, it was that kind of environment. And I think a lot of Southern schools kind of took that mentality, especially ones like Virginia or, you know, Virginia or North Carolina at the time that played, like, the Northern schools, like the big-time Northern schools, like Princeton and Penn and... 
you know, Princeton, Penn, Harvard, those kind of schools. That mm-hmm. those kind of schools really took that tact. But Sewanee also had that in there too. It was a very obvious thing when you look back at the program. Um, but on the field in the 1890s, uh, Sewanee won a state championship in 1892. That again, that's the kind of era we're in here. They had an undefeated record against Tennessee and Vanderbilt and claimed a state title. Um, oh yeah. But, but they would be mid until 1898 when they won a SIAA championship with a 4-0 record. This is ringing a lot of weird pandemic season bells in my head. It is! Where, yeah, that's the... Where, yeah. like, where like <laughs> some teams played 10 games, some teams played 3 games. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, it it it's it, it is a little familiar now, isn't it? I I think that's one thing that we in this specific generation can say. Um, but they won the SIAA title with a four zero record. Their head coach was a twenty three year old Princeton grad named John Gear Jane, but his nickname was Lady, so they literally called him <laughs> Lady Jane. <laughs> Oh my! It's we have God. We haven't even gotten to the names. Um, we should. I don't know when exactly we're gonna go over some of these names, but uh, well, let's go was, over them now. Let's go over them now because we're about to get into the season. So like, all right, let's just fucking go over these names now because they are. This roster is just unholy with eighteen nineties fucking unholy eighteen nineties bullshit. Okay, I. I have to go with, um, I believe, future all-conference and Bartlett at Ultimus Simmons. <laughs> Sims, sorry. No, like, that that's not a mistake, by the way. That is his actual name. <laughs> first name Bartlett, middle name presumably at Ultimus. So he's got a fucking Latin phrase for a middle name. <laughs> um, and he is one of the largest members on this team at a at a girthy six foot one eighty five. Yeah, he only built he only beats William Wild Bill Claiborne of Amherst County, Virginia, who is six feet tall, one ninety. Uh, oh, and he's God. a guard. Yeah, yeah, these yeah. Let me let me find like if you go down on the roster, there is a quarterback who is a hundred and seventeen pounds. His name is Harris yep. Goodwin Cope. It is Confederate general last name. We're gonna talk more about some of these guys, but. The one guy, the two guys that we're going to talk about most are Henry Seibels, better known as Diddy. No. Diddy Seibels. <laughs> no, not that kind of Diddy. And Ormond Simpkins. I almost, I keep calling him Ormond Simpkins in my head. Ormond the Simp. Yeah, so we got a guy lining up next to him whose name is Bunny Pierce. He is five foot three, hundred and twenty-five ah! pounds. We He's are an end. Oh my god. We are we are in hell right now. <laughs> like this is a whole different world. Um, yes. Yeah, we have a we have a Ringland Kilpatrick here. We have a Warbler Wilson quarterback. Warbler Wilson. Um, <laughs> we have a Floyd Hoffman Parker, and we don't know what position he played, but we know that he was around. Yeah. We have a halfback named Charles Quintard Gray. That's a name you see all the time. Uh, Preston Smith Brooks Jr. Is that guy named after... <laughs> like, wasn't... Wait, hold on. Hold on. I'm not full of shit, right? Preston Brooks was a U.S. Um, representative from from South Carolina who was notable for beating Charles Sumner with a cane. Um, uh, I... I... <laughs> I don't know if it's the same. I don't know Preston. if it is either. It would be entertaining if it is, but this guy's hometown is Sewanee, so I don't think it is, but it would be more yeah, entertaining whatever. if it was. But yeah, like I said, and like Victoria said, it's an entirely different era, and we are in um, an entirely different time. said let's go into the 1899 season to start um by 1899 um one of the main characters i suppose in this story uh arrives his name is billy Souter. he played for three schools over five years so um again again this is not unlike 
players today, so I think that's interesting. He played at Washington and Jefferson, first of all. <laughs> then he played at Penn State. Then he played at Princeton, where he was a quarterback. Billy Suter was just 25 years old and may have been playing baseball for Princeton in the semester before he was Sewanee's head coach. As a matter of fact, because Sewanee runs a spring-to-fall schedule, or did at the time, may have been playing college baseball at the same time his players were practicing for this season. So, the other coach, Lady Jane, was also a Princeton alum, and that's where Sewanee gets their uh, football team's name, the Tigers, who, that's what Princeton that's what Princeton's teams are called to this day, and that's what Sewanee's teams are called to this day. Prior to this, Sewanee's teams have been nicknamed the Pioneers, but most newspaper reports just call them the Tennesseans. It's, it's, that's just how it was in the 1890s. Billy Suter was a firm, disciplinarian kind of coach, and he, he seems like the kind of guy in my research who doesn't take a lot of shit, which you kind of need that in a coach. Um, so, I think the one thing that we're going to get into more than anything else, too, is that Sewanee has a bit of an advantage compared to everyone else. Sewanee's school year runs from March to November, meaning students have been in class all summer, which means that the football team has been together all spring and summer. So, they have oh, been God. practicing and running drills when most teams have just broken camp. Like, they have a very solid advantage in this department. This means that Sewanee's team was practicing for the entire summer, back in those days when camp began. So too did football. The concept of two-a-days was essentially shock therapy to get the body ready for football, and as anyone who has participated in two-a-days knows... Uh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, but Sewanee didn't have to do that. They were in football shape long before the other teams had hit their stride. They actually, and I think the other thing, too, that is very uh, revolutionary almost is that they had a personal trainer that traveled with them. Most teams didn't have that. It was just a bunch of college kids out in the fucking wilderness of no man's land just doing their own thing. But Sewanee was an actual team with an actual coach and had an actual personal trainer. They did officially break for camp on September 11th, 1899. What a wonderful day that was. In a school of 325 total students, 25 were on the football team. So, seven of those returning were from last year's SIAA championship roster. So, you may be wondering, how in the hell did this game schedule... How in the hell did Sewanee schedule fucking... How did they schedule five games in six days? And our man Luke Lee makes his first appearance... We're going to talk about him later, and it's not because of football either. But Oh my god. Oh gosh. <laughs> Victoria wants to talk about this man so bad. He just, he's so, he lived a very rich life, we'll put it like that. But because of a gate dispute that kept Vanderbilt off the schedule, back when Vanderbilt was the big attraction draw for Sewanee, they had to make up the money somewhere. So Luke Lee schedules a ton of games... All of them on one, all of them on one train trip, so that way they could save money. So even in 1899, capitalism is still very much with us, <laughs> even for bullshit oh, yeah. like this. This is a monetary move that borders on abuse, negligence, um, just a things that he a, will be known for later in life. <laughs> yes. Oh God. Um, I was just. So, the season kicks off uh-huh. in late October, which is a little weird to me. Um, yeah, but this is when the schedule usually kicks off. It's it, Football lasted for like six weeks back then. So Yeah, yeah. there you go. Uh, Georgia, we got game one. Um, yeah, we have an actual opponent that people will recognize. We got Georgia and Atlanta. Um, this is at Piedmont Park, which is still standing today, by the way. I'd note in my game notes that the Atlanta Constitution has some serious cope. The casual <laughs> observer on the first lineup um, predicted a failure on the part of Sewanee to break the Georgia line. The casual observer was wrong. Quite incorrect, in fact. But the mm-hmm. casual observer has every reason to believe that Georgia's material is equal to, if not better than Sewanee's. Victoria, would you like to know by <laughs> how much Sewanee won this game by? Why don't you tell me? 12 to nothing. 
Twelve. So nine. they lost by. So Georgia lost by two touchdowns. Remember when I said you couldn't coach from the sideline? Well, we're about to see your first instance of it. Billy Suter gets criticized by the paper saying Suter deserves credit, except when he coaches from the sideline for his splendid work. But it may safely be presumed that today he is callous to adverse criticism for success is an unanswerable argument. How um, dare he coach? How dare this coach coach? This, <laughs> that this, was the mentality this, back then. And like, it makes no sense to us now, but like back then I'm, I'm sure it made sense to them. I don't fucking know how, but it did. Another another thing we're going to get into is prior to the game, Sawani called out a Georgia player for being a professional and accepting money to coach a gym class, which seems so quaint now. However, <laughs> however, Georgia's captain insisted the kid play because, well, you know, why wouldn't he? And he did play. Yeah. Uh, 14 minutes in the game, our boy Orman Simpkins plunges into the end zone on a dive play. Back then, they called dive plays line bucks, as in line, as Ooh. in buck, as in as in a deer. Um, Nuck if you buck. Yeah, nuck if you line buck. That's what. That's what all. That's what all the girls in 1899 said. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So two days after, Sawani takes down Georgia twelve to nothing. Yeah, they got Georgia Tech up on yeah. the schedule. Yeah, we have Georgia Tech on a Monday afternoon in Piedmont Park in the same field that they played two days before. This is very much unthinkable today. It was a hot day. It, the game started at like three thirty. Georgia Tech came into this game zero and one. They lost sixty three to nothing to Auburn nine days before this game. Although Georgia Tech got the ball to start the game, they had a punt blocked a minute into the game, and Sawani scored. They ended up missing the extra point. It was 5-0. Sawani kept running off tackle plays with their boy Diddy Seibels and Charles Quint... <laughs> what was his name? Oh yeah, Charles Quintard Gray to great success. After a few minutes, Sawani tries a few dive plays before Gray runs off tackle for 30 yards and a touchdown. Orman Simpkins misses the PAT though, and Sawani has a 10-0 lead. And the avalanche continues from there. Sawani leads 27 to nothing at half. Georgia Tech manages just a little bit better play in the second half. But Diddy Seibels gets another touchdown. And Sawani wins 32 to nothing. I should also mention that this Georgia Tech team was absolutely horrid. They were 0-5. After the 63-0 loss to Auburn and the 32-0 loss to Sawani, they would lose 20 to nothing to Georgia. 15 to nothing to the University of Nashville. And finally, they managed to score points during a 41-5 loss to Clemson in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, they finished 17th out of 18 schools in the SIAA that year. So yeah. I presume that this is pre-John Heisman. Yes, this is very town. much pre-John Heisman. He'll come along okay. uh, He'll come along later, but yeah, this is very much a pre-John Heisman team. So... Ugh. Okay. A whole bunch of engineers got kicked around by the by, by the a bu- sons by a bunch and of, grandsons. Yeah, by a bunch of Confederate generals' grandsons. Don't you love <laughs> oh that? My God. But the good news is that uh, we is is that our Vols are up next on their schedule, and I think we got this one, Katie. Yeah. No, we don't. Okay. So, so this is where I get to go off track a little bit. Um. Tennessee was very bad for the first, like, nine or ten years of their football history. They didn't win. They did finally appear in the top 20 in the New York, um, in, like, a New York paper in 1901. They finally won a conference title in 1914, but at this point, they were very bad. It was a fucking rainstorm in this game where every five-yard line had, like, a little stream running down it. Like... (laughs) Like, field field conditions were not exactly great in 1899. Diddy Seibel scores three touchdowns in the first half. Sewanee goes up 20-0 at halftime. Sewanee actually substituted, which back in those games, there wasn't free substitution. Like, once you were out of the game, you were out of the game. It's like baseball. Um, Anyways, Tennessee came into this game kind of confident because they had a formation where they lined up their guards off the line of scrimmage and thought it would work. It didn't. Sewanee student paper says that Sewanee stopped scoring from exhaustion and won 46 to nothing. But, 
yeah, so Tennessee would actually have a good season this year. They went to have a 6-2 and two record, and J.A. Pierce, who was the first Tennessee head coach, um, led them there. The Vols actually finished fifth in the SIAA. So this was a good team that Sewanee just absolutely crushed. He skunked him. 46 to nothing in the rain. And um, something you mentioned there that I wanted to make sure that people listening totally understand is that this is Iron Man football. Um, yeah. Guys are playing both ways, correct? Yep. You're playing both ways. You're playing you're playing 70 minutes both ways, and you're not getting off the field unless the coach subs you out, and the coach rarely subs you out. So, oh, God. Yeah. So we get to Southwestern Presbyterian, which is now Rhodes College in Memphis, which is probably at the time it was a missionary school, but nowadays Rhodes is for weird lawyers who... Weird lawyers who are also into into aphebophilia but anyways i'm gonna get myself in trouble there i am i am i am learning so much about southern colleges that i have no cultural context for <laughs> in this in this show <laughs> yeah yeah well you Wonderful. know well you know that's what i'm here for but um so these two actually still play today um sawani in southwestern presbyterian now Rhodes. They are currently rivals in D3. Uh, Rose was actually based in Clarksville at this time. The college wouldn't move to Memphis until 1924. This is actually the longest consecutively played rivalry below the Mason-Dixon line. And these plays teams play for something called the Edmund Orgill Trophy. Southwestern Presbyterian actually came into this game with a 4-0 record. Um, they had won... They had wins over the Clarksville Athletic Association again... We're talking about gentlemen's clubs with football teams. 15-0 win over Kentucky and two more wins over various schools that I didn't even bother to note. Um, so, Sewanee wins this game and the Sewanee student paper said everyone knew Sewanee was going to win, but few were bold enough to prophesy any such score. The game only lasted 35 minutes. 20 minutes oh in the first God. half and 15 minutes in the second half. Um, Sewanee won 54 to nothing. Uh, yeah, so Rhodes would actually be a good team, too. They finished 5-2-1. SIAA member Nashville hands him a 39 to nothing loss, but they had a 1-2 record in conference play, so that was good enough for 11th out of 18 teams in the SIAA. Yeah, that's the first four games of their season they're four no and they've absolutely kicked ass the entire way they haven't given up a point and they've uh basically annihilated every team they've played this is yeah this is a unholy stretch of ass kicking i believe at this point if i'm doing the math right in my head they have 144 points and they've given up none yep yeah i think that's right and that is that is through four games and they played <laughs> all four of those games in like two weeks roughly um yeah but it's about to get so much worse so much harder and so much faster we finally get to the legendary road trip and the first game is against texas and austin swanee leaves on the seventh they get there on the ninth the the student body had a cheer and i kind of want to cheer this for you and i will actually they were chanting they were chanting this little chant as they left um hold on Ra ra re, who are we? S e w a n double e. Rough rough rough. We are the stuff. We play football. Never get enough. They would fit right in with Texas A and M's weird <laughs> culture of you know screaming chickaruga rem. Um, yeah. Wow. Uh, I would just like so I I have a list of notes about this game. Um, I love that stereotypes about Texas fans have been true since literally the 19th century, which is that this game is played in Austin. And I will remind you that Sewanee is a school with 260-ish students, correct? Yes. Yep. Um, this game is played in front of 2,000 people, and it's a 50-50 s- split between Sewanee and Texas fans. This is... I mean... I love like, it. It's so, it's so, it's so, like, it's so fucking modern, too. Um, Solani bought two barrels of local spring water down with him. They faced Texas. Uh, Texas came in 3-0. They had beaten two non-college teams, and they beat Texas A&M 6-0 in San Antonio on the, on the previous Saturday. 
This game was played on a Thursday afternoon, too. Um, Sewanee decided to do a little bit of light work, prep work on the train, but they hadn't practiced in, like, two days. Um, so, in this game, Diddy Seibels gets his head absolutely busted open, and he decides to put plaster over it to stop it. Um, it's good enough, though. <sighs> it's good enough, though. He scored the first touchdown five minutes into the game. That would be the only touchdown of the half. They went, they, uh, went up 6 nothing. The game continued uh, at 6 nothing. However, the Disciples, surprisingly, the plaster mask didn't work all the way, and his face was now a crimson mask. Put an insurance scorer on the board, scoring the second and last touchdown of the game with a minute to go. Sawani won 12 nothing. Um, again, Texas, good team. They finished 6-2, and two, and they finished 7th out of 18 teams in the SIAA. So, yeah, this is, yeah, so it's going to get worse. So, okay, next day, take a train trip to Houston to play Texas A&M. This is actually their only non-conference game, because Texas A&M wasn't a member of the SIAA. Um, Texas A&M... Everyone knows, by the way, I've just... Everyone knows Texas A&M and Texas never once been in the same conference. They don't care about each other. Um, they don't stay up all night thinking about each other. No, never. No, no, Texas. I just want you back, babe. I want you back. <laughs> um, well, okay. the good news is that they have one thing in common, which is that they get their ass beat by Sawani back to back. Yes. Yeah. So, Texas A&M comes into this game 1-1. One one. Uh, but the thing is, that 1-1 one one is kind of misleading because they beat Houston High School 43 to nothing. This what? Is all, this is also back in an era where what? college teams would play high school teams. What? This happened constantly, by the way. I am... This is not like a how, new thing. How is this legal? Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I, what? Yeah, it happens all the time. That's another thing about 1890s football that is weird, is that college teams and high school teams will play pretty regularly, and sometimes the high school teams will win. Um, that is... I well, can't re- I'm, sure, I'm sure that beating up on a gang of local children <laughs> will prepare them to play the fucking Sewanee Road Warriors. I, You know, you know it's really funny. Um, I remember Tennessee played Tennessee School for the Deaf. One, oh one my year. god tennessee school for the deaf is a high school by the way just so we're clear uh-huh. yeah Jeez. so this is this is not uncommon um but anyways this game was played at Harold park in houston texas there were about 600 people there it was a friday afternoon so people were probably getting off work the game probably started before anyone could get off work because labor rights back then eh, well you know <laughs> well you know yeah um, so, one of Sewanee's players, our boy Wild Bill Claiborne, kept glaring at people with his swollen, discolored eye. He said, see this? I lost it yesterday in Austin. This afternoon, I'm getting a new one. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, why, hmm, why, why could he possibly be called Wild Bill Claiborne? I don't know. Who could say? Oh my god. <laughs> this is, this is like... They travel from town to town, beaming their ass, specifically enabled to do this because of transportation technology. They're basically the fucking war boys from Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, so Sawani goes up 5 nothing at half, uh, thanks to our boy Ormond Simpkins. Um... This was only with three minutes left to go in the first half, so that uh, that ended up making the score five nothing at half. Sewanee had the wind and the sun at their back at the second half. They were able to move the ball on A and M pretty consistently. The Tigers didn't score the insurance uh, the insurance touchdown until a minute to go in the game. It was kind of like the Texas game where our boy Warble that Warble. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say it! Fuck! It is, I mean... Warbler... It... <laughs> Warbler Wilson. Thank you! Thank you. Took the ball into the end zone, and Sewanee won 10-0. Uh, 
Ironically enough, A&M would go undefeated and unscored upon the rest of the year. Oh my god. <laughs> they of beat course. Tulane 22 to nothing, Baylor 33 to nothing, and LSU 52 to nothing. They finished Chris. with a 4 and 2 record. Oh my god. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, speaking of Tulane, uh, yeah, so we're going to New Orleans for our next game. This is November the 11th. Um, this is actually on a Saturday. So we're actually playing college football on a Saturday for the first time in God knows how long. Um, so on, at 4 p.m., they took on Sewanee, or Sewanee took on Tulane at Crescent City Ballpark. There were about 800 people there. Um, this Tulane team was composed virtually of all freshmen or players that had never played before or had never played football, period. It was a young, disjointed team. Sewanee went up 23 to nothing, and the game was called due to darkness. Um, yeah, huh. that's, the kind of, that's the kind of game we're talking about here. Tulane was truly, truly dreadful in 1899. They went 0-6-1 and never scored a point the entire year. By the way, I should also mention, football back then is make it, take it. If you score, you're getting the ball. What? Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah, it's like rugby. If you score, you're getting the ball. It's make it, take it. Oh my god, what? <laughs> what? What even... What were we doing? Oh my god. How is... How is this considered the same exact sport that is played today? It's I like, don't know. I don't know. It's so weird. Like, football has evolved so much when compared to, like, any other sport. Like, basketball you would still be able to kind of recognize as basketball in the early days. But football in the early days you would not recognize as football. Like, it is that kind of yeah. difference. Um, so, Solani finally has a day off. Uh, so good for them. Yeah, so it's great, you know. When you let a bunch of eighteen to twenty-five year olds out in New Orleans on a Saturday night, you can kind of guess what'll end up happening. They went to a burlesque show. They got drunk. It was fun. Their coach probably got drunk with them, given how old Billy Suter was. You know, after three extremely hard-fought wins across multiple states in three days there is not enough booze in the world no not not enough no i don't blame them a bit so so that sunday they get it off and then the monday they take on lsu in baton rouge um i should note before this game they were toured on a sugar plantation Owned by a uh, Sewanee alum. Yeah, this is not Are we great. sure about this? Are we sure about this one, guys? Oh, no. Um, so, LSU came in, into the game 1-1. One one. They lost 11 to nothing to Ole Miss. But they won 48 to nothing in a game where they traveled to Lake Charles High School. Roving bands of college <laughs> kids showing up to your town so they can beat up on, on your 15-year-old son. <laughs> horrifying <laughs> it's so good um so 2,000 people actually came to watch this game which is actually a pretty big crowd um this game was another Sewanee ass kicking they went up 17 to nothing at halftime thanks to two Diddy Seibel's touchdowns followed by a Rex Kilpatrick touchdown to give the game its halftime score and I also note apparently the train ride hadn't affected him too much <laughs> Um, Kilpatrick would score another touchdown and Sewanee would use a few of their subs in this game as it got out of hand. LSU did not make a first down in this game. Oh, Sewa God. Sewanee won 34 to nothing. LSU would go on to finish 2-4 in 1899. They finally did win a game on their last day of the season, beating up on conference bottom dweller Tulane 38 to nothing. Um, and they finished 13th out of 18 teams in the SIAA that year. So, yeah. So, we're almost at the end of this road trip. This we're is, okay, this is, this is the stop that makes the least sense to me. So, oh, yeah? they play Ole Miss in Memphis. Yeah, so, Ole Miss used to use Memphis as, like, a semi-home field for a long time. Like, a long time. <laughs> because Oxford wasn't, Oxford is a tiny little town of about fifteen or 20,000 people, like, and sure. the road network wasn't great. It was the same reason that it was the same reason that Alabama used to play um, 
in Birmingham rather than Tuscaloosa. And it'll be the same reason that Auburn plays Sewanee in Montgomery, Alabama instead of Auburn. So, yeah, we're okay. yeah, so we're kind of in that era still where the road networks aren't great, but the college football teams are still kind of popular enough to warrant that kind of attention. Um, but anyways, so recapping this Sewanee trip since we're on the last game, um, going from Sewanee to Austin, Texas would be about a thousand miles and take about 15 hours. Austin to Houston would take about 165 miles. Houston to New Orleans would have been about 350 and New Orleans to Baton Rouge would have taken about 80. Baton Rouge to Memphis would have taken about 400 miles. All told, they've traveled 2,000 miles in six days. And they have played football games in all but one of those days. And they have won all of them. And they have been ass kickers in all of them. Yep. They have kicked 2,000 miles of ass yeah. on this road trip, including against Ole Miss. We got yeah. a 12 to nothing dub here once again. So, this game was a Diddy Seibel's touchdown to go up 6-0 at halftime. And then our boy Rex Kilpatrick scores the last touchdown with 13 seconds left to win the game 12-0. Had Ole Miss been able to hold Sewanee's offense for another 30 seconds, this game could have ended up a little differently. So, we'll see. Um, After the Memphis game, or after the Ole Miss game, a Memphis paper wrote... Yesterday's score against Mississippi marked the 240th point where the Tennesseans have scored to nothing for their opponents during the present season. The trip of of the Sewanee 11, along with the record, will probably remain unequaled for many generations. Damn straight it was. (laughs) Yeah, I was about to say, like, yeah, this is, this is, um, I mean, for a, for a wide variety of reasons, we will never see this again. Um, yeah, and we yeah, should never is... see this again. No, <laughs> no, this is this is extremely stupid. Um, <laughs> if it does have to happen, to anyone though, sons and grandsons of Confederate officers. Yeah, know. yeah, those are the perfect people to kind of send on this punishing run from fucking hell. Even if they did yeah. win all their games, but home we're back home so Wani's back home um and they take on take on cumberland before their two biggest games of the year arguably um this must have felt like the best six days off of all time <laughs> i can't even imagine just, <laughs> you are you are spending six days straight just like laying in bed just i have to i just just laying in bed and like and like crushing very rich bone broth or something just yeah like... <laughs> well back then coca-cola had cocaine in it so like you know you just do a little you just do a few bumps of coca-cola and you're all good but but Dude. um <laughs> not that i would know anything about that but no absolutely not this is a christian transsexual football podcast Continue. <laughs> yeah sure anyways um so they take on cumberland next this is the cumberland this is the same school that will lose 222 nothing to Georgia Tech. Um, yeah. Uh, Sewanee absolutely crushes the fuck out of this team, winning 71 to nothing. Um, Cumberland went 0-3 that year. That's literally, the- literally all I know about Cumberland is them getting stunted on twice. That's, that is all I know about Cumberland, the college. I don't know if it still exists. It does. It does. I knew people. Yeah, it does. I had teammates that went to it. (laughs) God damn. Like, I, I, I couldn't tell you where it is in Tennessee. I couldn't Um, either. And I, I couldn't either. So (laughs) I know where a lot of colleges in Tennessee are. I don't know where that one is, but anyways, (laughs) (laughs) anyways, so we get to our two most important games of the year. We start off with Auburn 10 days later in Montgomery, Alabama. Auburn was 3-0-1 heading into this game. Much like Sewanee, they hadn't let a single team score against them. They won 63-0 against Georgia Tech, 41-0 against the Montgomery Athletic Club, and 34-0 against Clemson, before having a scoreless tie in Atlanta against Georgia. This Auburn team was coached by John Heisman. Oh, God. Yeah. So, they ran a hurry-up offense in 1899, and it was one of the few times... (laughs) 
John Heisman was a psycho. <laughs> better, uh, uh, what is, what is the famous John Heisman quote? Better to have died a small boy than fumble to have fumbled this football. That football. <laughs> yeah. Good lord, he's insane. We'll we'll show we will show you how fucking insane he is after this game because it is yeah. truly, it is truly something. But how Heisman actually got the Auburn job is interesting. He played at Oberlin College in Ohio, but after graduating, he was working on a tomato farm in Marshall, Texas, before Auburn called him. Um, he went 12-4-2 in five years at Auburn. 1899 would be his last year at Auburn, as he'd go on to Clemson in 1900. He'd go on to go 19-3-2 at Clemson, winning S three SIA titles in four years. Um, this team that Sawani's about to face, um, this team is very good, and they could win, but they don't. <laughs> they yeah. don't. This is a very close game. This is a very close game. They're exchanging punts, and they are actually managing to... Auburn manages to score on Sawani like 10 or 15 minutes into the game. Is that allowed? I, I didn't think it was, but apparently Auburn said, fuck it. Um, they scored from they scored a touchdown from like twelve yards out. They they actually took the lead on Sawani five to nothing before Sawani got the lead back. So no Auburn starts their so Auburn's fourth drive, they go up ten to five on Sawani. Auburn gets the ball back because again, this is make it take it. But they use a death by a thousand cuts offense and Auburn gets the ball to the midfield. However, Sawani gets the ball back thanks to a turnover on downs at miss at midfield. Sawani then tries a mass play. In other words, we just take a scrum and we move you down the field. Like, that's oh what a mass God. play is. Uh, um, yeah, this is how people died. Like, this is the play that killed people. Um, but it gets thrown back for a loss. Sawani loses the ball. And Auburn gets the ball on a turnover on downs. The controversy in this game, and there is a big controversy in this game. Um, after a three-yard gain on first down, Auburn's quarterback fumbles the football. Their right guard appears to fall on the ball, but the referee awards the ball to Sawani instead. This happens on Auburn's t own 10-yard line. Sawani immediately hits a double pass, and they score, and they hit the PAT, and it's 11-10 Sawani. And that would be the well. final score. Um, from here... From here, the second half was mo was scoreless, um, and Sawani won seven, 11 to ten. It was the only time they had ever been seriously threatened. After the game, the Atlanta Constitution noted Sawani haters say this Auburn team easily outplayed Sawani in every phase of the game except for kicking. <laughs> I uh, have been justified yet again. The kicking agenda. Another win for the special teams you, team. You are the, the yeah, squad. I swear to God, you are the... This bit is just... Whatever. It, <laughs> um, it ceased being a bit long ago, sadly. I, I can tell. But anyways... <laughs> but anyways, um, so John Heisman challenged the referee that had given the ball to Sawani to a debate in the local paper. <laughs> and it raged back and debate forth for a coward. while. Debate me, coward. Heisman essentially called the head referee a bitch and said it was the head referee that was influencing all the decisions. Oh my God. Rather than the side referee who gave the ball. So he essentially called the assistant referee a little bitch. Um, I am... Okay, so to me now, John Heisman is forever football Ben Shapiro. Challenging people to debate... Um, <laughs> Just, just constantly, constantly whining. Um, okay, so in the final game of the year, our boys—well, I don't know if they're our boys. I don't think I don't think a bunch of Confederate generals can be our boys. But the boys that we have been following for the duration of this story go to Atlanta to take on North Carolina in guess what? A conference championship game. No, really, no, really, that, a conference championship game why. in the. In the first week of December, in Atlanta. Well, that that's never been done before. Now that has it? But yeah, that is that is never happened before ever. And the SEC was crazy for doing it uh, exactly 100 years later. 
or and they still are. Later, they still anyway. are. The SEC should have a round robin with no conference title Ooh. game. Okay. I will die on this hill. Kick out all, kick out Arkansas, South Carolina, Missouri, and Texas A and M. Do it, do it, cowards. I, I what do you have you. against? What do you have against Arkansas? They're not one of the original ten members. What are we gonna do? I love our. I love. I love it. We gonna bring back Sawani? We're gonna bring back Tulane? Maybe. Shit. Maybe. I, I'd love to have a free conference win each year. <laughs> so I'm about to say that might be fun. Um, so but yeah, any, North Carolina. Anyways, <laughs> North Carolina. So, although conference championships games are considered a new invention, this was one in Atlanta, and it was for the Southern Championship. Um, Two thousand people came out to watch this game. It was a beautiful day. Um, and it was probably at Piedmont Park, which, again, still stands today and was the site of Sewanee's first two games. Um, Sewanee actually had a few guys hurt coming into this game. Surprisingly, the entire train trip and a 10-day rest and then playing Auburn uh, wasn't exactly good for the old bones. So they had a weird. few guys out. Yeah. Yeah, weird. Weird how that works. Uh, so John Heisman was still so fucking mad that he placed a $100 bet, or about 3500 bucks in today's money, that North Carolina would win. They did not win. They did not Ugh. win. So, there, the, two, the two biggest moments in this game happened in the first half. So, early on, it looked like North Carolina was going to become the second team to score. After a muff pump by Sewanee, North Carolina had the ball at the Sewanee one-yard line. In five tries, North Carolina did not get in the end zone. Two of those were aided by Sewanee offside penalties. Uh. Eventually, the number added up to eight total plays where the Tar Heels did not score. And then they missed a field goal. Wow. From the one? Yes, from the one. God, never mind. Uh, I I can't even imagine what what a field goal looked like in 1899. Well, I'm about to tell you. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay, great. Love this. Love this for me. Okay, so here's a fun rule that is actually still in effect in the NFL, and I believe that this... I know that this happened in a game where the Cardinals were playing, and it happened a few years ago. Um, But it's still in effect, and back then it was still in effect, too. If you call for a fair catch, you have the option to have a free kick. You have an option to have a free kick with it. Um, yeah, Sawani um, ended up un- calling. Yeah, Sawani ended up calling for a fair catch, got a 15-yard penalty, which put them in field goal range. So, goddamn. So, back then there were no hash marks. So, like this guy was kicking the football from like 10 yards, um, from like 10 yards away from the sideline. Our boy wow. Warbler. <laughs> Why am I trying to say this fucking name? Warbler Wilson. Thank you. Thank you. He hits a forty-two. He hits a forty-two-yard field goal, and Sewanee is now up five to nothing, and that is the score that they would win the Southern Championship by. And after the game, they partied all night, and they won eleven conference wins, which, like I said, was the most in a season until Alabama did it in twenty twenty. And yep. that's and, and that Alabama is, needed a pandemic to do it. Yeah. Sawani didn't even need a pandemic. They just needed a psycho... They just needed a psycho manager who we are about to talk about right now. Who is... Oh, God. So, I wanted to add an epilogue to this because I feel like Luke Lee, who is insane, should be talked about. So, Luke Lee, who was the manager who scheduled all these games, he ended up getting a degree from Columbia, founded the Tennessean newspaper, um... He was a prohibitionist, and he ended up getting elected senator from the state of Tennessee in 1910. He was one of those memey, socially progressive, fiscally conservative people, and he ended up uh-huh. serving in the Senate until 1919, when the United States des- decided to join World War One. Oh boy! So his most his most notable action in Europe was trying to capture Kaiser Wilhelm II of Germany so that France could bring him to trial for war crimes. He was unsuccessful in that, by the way. Um, and the army eventually reprimanded Lee and his co-conspirators, co-conspirators for fucking up the kidnapping that badly. Uh, yeah. So, so this 
this kidnapping happens in 1919. So this is after the Kaiser has abdicated. Yeah. So <laughs> it isn't like it isn't like you have to infiltrate the fucking palace, you know? Yeah. Um, and they still fucked it like, up. They still fucked it up. Um, do you have? I have Luke Lee's Wikipedia page open. I do um, not, but I do have the notes. Okay, please. Go ahead. Yeah, so I was going to say, in the 20s, he'd go back to newspapers, but he also founded a bank, too. This got him in trouble after the Depression hit. Um, he went to prison for two years before being pardoned for bank fraud, and he maintained until his dying day that he was innocent and wrongly fully convicted. He died at age 66 in Nashville on November 18th, 1945. Um, that's Luke Lee. That's Luke Lee in a nutshell, but you have the Wikipedia page open, so I'm curious. I am curious. Uh, so, under the attempt to kidnap Kaiser Wilhelm II header on his Wikipedia, which is a good header to have. It's a subheader, actually. Um, uh, this is... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pop open how this is sourced. Okay, this is sourced to uh, London Review of Books, an article or a book titled What to Do with the Kaiser. Um, the Americans entered the Netherlands using false civilian passports, traveling in two staff cars with weapons concealed under the seats. On arriving at the chateau where the Kaiser was staying, Lee claimed to be the son of a local count. Now, um, just to recap, uh, after the end of World War II, the Kaiser fled to the Netherlands. They had a monarchy as well. Um, they immediately raised suspicions, and the Kaiser unsurprisingly refused to see them. They retreated to their cars after stealing an inscribed bronze ashtray and fled the country. <laughs> so, what a is, what uh, a fucking idiot. Jesus. Yep, that is according to volume 20 number 19 uh London Review of Books. What to do uh, with the Kaiser. Um yeah, so this Lukely, I think gotta be one of the most interesting human beings of the time um in terms of just happening to be at sawani being the manager of the team coming up with the most insane schedule of games <laughs> then going to columbia and getting elected senator almost immediately and yeah. then um being involved yeah. in a cockamamie scheme to kidnap the kaiser yeah he, he lived a very interesting life i mean you can't take that away from him these were the kinds of lives that you could live back then if you were rich. Yeah. Like, if you had money, you could just go on fucking adventures. Like, <laughs> you could, just... like, you could cease being a senator so that you could fight in World War One. Like, what are we doing, man? Yeah. Um, so, that's 1899 Sawani. Yeah. Man. What have we learned? I think we learned that you should, that confederate generals kids should be subjected to this kind of torture all the time even though that those kids aren't alive anymore but we should we should still dig them up and make them do it anyways i don't know <laughs> we Have should make some skeletons zomb play zombie sawani zombawani um <laughs> yeah we have we have gone from uh from a slave owning gentry college to kidnapping the kaiser i think that is a tuck rule right there that's right. That is a yeah. tuck rule. Katie, that was fucking phenomenal. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. I can't wait to do this again. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. We have, we have, or, so I am preparing a, um, a episode like this of my own, uh, probably within, I don't know, two or three weeks or something. I'm going to be unemployed soon. So, uh, you know, we'll see. Yeah, uh, mine will uh, be about a event that took place about 110 years uh, in, <laughs> in the future from the from the 1899 Sewanee Squad. We're going to be talking about uh, the worst football game I've ever seen. Um, oh, yeah. Should I keep it a secret, or should I let them know what game it is? I'm almost mm, like, I don't know. What do you want to do? Okay, we're going to be talking about Brown 6, Bills 3. If you know, you know. Oh. Um, I have already started I've already started doing some research and putting together some things it's gonna be it's gonna be fun um how do we how do we end the show I don't know how do we do that uh it's been so long I, I I think I think you're supposed to read off like where you're at on Twitter and then I say where I'm at on Twitter okay okay 
I remember how to do this. Katie, where can the people find you online? What have you been up to? I am at Kates of Heaven on Twitter. I just posted the thing about Lola that I have been working for fucking months on. 4,000 yes, words so about good. the MasterCard Lola Formula One team. It's good. You should read it. Everyone else has it's really already. Good. Thank you. You should absolutely check it out. Um, <laughs> I am all. I also just published my Conference USA preview on Around the Block, or not on Around the Block, but on Saturday Blitz. I have yet to publish something on Around the Block, but I should have something published this week, so look out for that. Um, that's about it. Oh yeah, I have a new song out too. Buy my fucking EP, asshole. That's right. Do it. Um, I'm on Twitter at DirtbagQueer, doing my thing. Um... I would just like to say, in light of the fact that I quit my job that was killing me, um, I have Proud a tip jar in my Twitter bio. Uh, no obligation, but if you want to send me a crisp $3 bill, feel free. Um, I would appreciate it. It would help a lot in the coming days. Yeah, other than that, that's just about it. Chip posting. Um, probably about to send out a whole bunch of deranged pride-related tweets. Hell yeah! I'm at. Hell yeah, I think I'm about to do the same thing, so, uh, synergy. Absolutely. Uh, and yeah, we'll, uh, um, if you like the podcast, I remember how to do this, if you like the podcast, uh, give us a five-star rating and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, if you do that, we will read the review on the show. Uh, as far as I know, we didn't get anything new, but, uh, if you do leave it there, um, yeah, we'll read it, which is, uh, pretty cool. Uh, you can make me or Katie say something that we don't want to say. As yeah. long as it isn't, you know, as long as it doesn't have any bad words in it. Because um, we never say bad words on this show. No, ever. never. Not ever. <laughs> My mom never certainly doesn't give me a hard time about it. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, we also have a Discord. Uh, if you go to our Twitter account at TuckRulebod, which you should follow if you're interested in news and updates, uh, you can find it there. Yeah, and you should come hang out if you want to talk about sports uh, with some fucking gays. Yeah, yeah, it's a great place. It's a great place. We we have fun. It is a very positive, loving community, and I think, and I think you should join it. Absolutely. Uh, I think that's just about everything. Katie, why don't you get us out of here? Diddy Seibel seats pussy. Fuck yeah, he does. <laughs>